Hey, welcome to the Living Undeterred podcast. I have my friend, uh, Stefan, Stefan. I go back and forth. I, I, I'm just going to call him Dr. Neff from now on. That's a lot safer oh, for me. No. Um, <laughs> uh, it's great to see you. You were on the podcast, uh, I don't know, over a year ago. We had an engaging, very um, educational conversation. I was kind of I'll say early, early in my journey, uh, and now I'm a little bit further down the road with this mental health, uh, addiction, substance mm-hmm. use journey that I'm on that seems to be humbling me every day. And you, my friend, were a mentor early in my journey, lack of a better word, whereas you had talked a lot about your personal recovery story. Um, you've done some writing and you have a podcast as well. And, um, it's been great to watch you and I've learned a lot from what you're doing. So again, welcome to the show. And I don't really know where we're going to go. I kind of like the authentic and the genuine nature of this show because I don't have a script. Um, I've been the guest on shows that are kind of scripted and I work better when I don't have constraints. So we're just going to wing it, man. (laughs) <laughs> hey, that's how I earn my money. Um, <laughs> that is now, and, and I should rephrase that. I'm an anesthetist. So as an anesthetist, you have got a plan A when you start some an uh, anesthetic and it never goes to plan because right. I'm working with human beings. So they right. have got their own ideas. And then I work with other human beings, which are my team, which is my, my surgeon and my, my the people that are working with me. And they have got their own ideas. So whatever plan you have got, in principle, yeah, sometimes it works. Most of the time, you have to adapt, and that is the success to life, isn't it? So it is. we are, we have got the the privilege to adapt to the challenges in our life, and I guess uh, a show uh, is a good example for that. You never know what happens, and but you can be sure that if two people are willing to engage in a conversation. Mm-hmm. And two people, especially two people like the two of us, who want to make this world a better place, then uh, no doubt the sparks will fly. And it is just, it is, we're here to to demystify mental health problems. We are here to, to break the taboo. We are here to speak honestly about our, about the things that have happened to us and mm-hmm. therefore be the light in the in the life of others. And that is really what makes me get up in the morning. That is really why I do what I do. I want to make this world a better place. And I strongly believe we can. One little action, one little impact, one book, one interview at a time. Mm-hmm. And you know, you and I both uh, are in agreement that there's so many different spokes to the mental health wheel. You have alcoholism, you have drug addiction, you have depression, anxiety, gambling, um, you know, there's so many different aspects to mental health. And I think when you say mental health to people, it's subjective. How would you define mental health? Very good question. I think that's why I asked it. <laughs> and so humble. Yeah, very humble. <laughs> I think the reality is that uh, we all have got a lot of thoughts and a lot of feelings and a lot of programming happening in our brain, in our soul. And the vast majority of us have no clue about that. 
Um, we are going through life like a blind man, and mm -hmm. it is uh, we have no clue what is in front of us. We maybe just with with a bit of tapping, you figure out the path in front of you, and that's mm -hmm. about it. That's the same with most adults, and certainly with a certain with most children. When it comes to our feelings, our core beliefs, our traumas, and because we don't know about that, because we don't know how to, what feelings are, what emotions are, they are riding us and they are causing then behaviors that can either be speaking for us and bringing us in the right direction or maybe not so much. So it, all these examples that you are saying, the, the, the gambling, the alcohol, the, the behaviors that we are not proud of and the, the drugs that we are using, well, what are they? They are there to allow us to escape our reality. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that of trauma. The reality is that of uh, things that have happened to us often enough at a very young age um, that left scars, so to speak, and then caused behaviors um, and traits, maybe behavioral traits, should I say, that are making us fall prey to our own emotions. So it is a, a very, very bizarre thing. Why do I know that? Um, because I was exactly like that. I was a man who was driven by core beliefs. My God. Once when I look back now, they are shit. They are just crap. Things like you're a failure. You will never amount to anything. Who are you to do X, Y, and Z? Those kind of voices, they were running nonstop and they were running virtually nonstop in my life. End of the story. Mm. I didn't realize that until I really went into rehab in my mid 40s and then suddenly started to experience emotions and feelings without the possibility to numb them or, or try to run away from them. And it was then that my healing journey began. It was then that I started to learn more about my inner self. So if you ask then about, you know, what is mental health? What is depression? What is anxiety? These are all consequences to a certain degree of, um, of those things that happen to us. Yes, there are some genetic predispositions that might play a bit of a role in some families where maybe you are a sitting duck for something, uh, for a certain way your brain is behaving. Um, so there are some, some links there that can be explained biologically and medically. But in reality, we are going through lives that are not very nice. There are nasty things happen to us and we call them trauma. Mm -hmm. Now, it's only in the last, what, 30 years that we accepted that post-traumatic stress disorder or, or PTSD uh, is actually a real thing. Um, what we still haven't actually figured out is that that is not just something negative. That is actually an opportunity to grow. Mm, so post-traumatic post growth yep. is something that is only right now sort of reaching a bit the surface. Right. Um, whilst in reality, much of human mankind is still in the, what are emotions? Emotions, yeah. do you mean you're feeling hungry? And you're feeling thirsty. That's what you mean is an emotion. <laughs> That's about the level that they know. I remember in my book talking about post-traumatic growth. 
and it was Dr. Robert Tadashi, I think, in the 80s or 90s, maybe, that come up with that term. Hmm. And it was the idea that it isn't necessarily the fact that something happens and all of a sudden you find something good out of it. But the post-traumatic growth idea was coined to those people that had typically had things happen but responded negatively and then something clicked and then they learned to start responding positively. It was more, mm-hmm. it was more for those people that previously had a very tough time. But I wanted to jump on something you had said really early in your comment. And this is this thing about thoughts. I've been so intrigued about thoughts because at points I can see where thoughts are the symptom. And there's times I can see where thoughts are the cause of what we have problems with. What are your thoughts on thoughts and where do they come from? Why do we have them and where do they go? They come unfortunately from, from experiences that have coined or that have caused those thoughts to arise. These experiences are often uh, laid down early. So these core, I I think they're core beliefs um, that are driving those thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, At some stage, my parents were were pretty clear that I'm not the most, the cleverest kid in, and, and they expected based upon the whole generations before us that I don't amount to much. Um, so, and they, they told me that I'm pretty certain about that. And there, there was a a certain kind of behavior, uh, in that, that my parents displayed where you had to strive to be the perfect person. You had to be out there. You had to be, there were certain norms that my parents were trying to live by, which were impossible to achieve. Um, and there was a bitterness always around. So there was this kind of um, of a certain successful person has to look like that. And if you mm-hmm. don't look like that, you're a failure. And right. failure is bad. Did that cause a and lot of stress in your life? Or anxiety, I guess. Anxiety. Always. Always yeah. anxiety. Because like but not then, being able I, to live up to that? Correct. But And I took that on myself. So uh, for a long time, I wrote to-do lists that even Superman on a good day would not even be able to achieve a quarter of what is on my to-do list, leave alone me. And then I only ticked off three out of 20 things. And I proved to myself every single day, look, you're a failure. Mm. So I was setting myself up to fail, to be a failure. And if I think about the thoughts that are intruding my life constantly 99.9% are negative. They are, I'm, I don't know where that shit is coming from, but it wants to tell me, no, you're not worth it. You're, you're not, you're worthless, hopeless. You are, you're a failure. That seems to be the, the kind of bottom line current that is going, which is such a bullshit. Um, I, it, I guess with all these kind of things, um, these are things that happen to us. And it's just as much as as if you're in the ocean and there's a wave coming towards you. You can get really angry about that thought or about that wave that is coming to you. Mm-hmm. That wave doesn't give a toodle. 
that wave just comes. So you either yeah. can get angry about the wave and shout at the wave, and it still comes, or you can play with the wave, you can surf on the wave, you can let the wave carry you and ex just experience it, and it will be gone in a short moment. And it's the mm -hmm. same with these thoughts. I believe that if you accept them for what they are and say, oh, that's an interesting opinion you've got, but you know what? I don't think you're right. And end of the story. So it's I just... Love it. I absolutely love it. I love the metaphor with the waves because even since we've talked last, I've dove much heavier into meditation and much more into explorations of the mind. And in my, I guess, studies, for lack of a better term, um, or my experiences with meditation and watching podcasts and learning, I've learned to not identify so strongly with my thoughts. In other words, it's like not identifying with the wave. It's like, you know, I'm a scuba diver. So when you talk about waves, I know what you mean. Because when you dive in the water and you come up to do your your thing on the top of your head to sing, sing, you know, symbol that you're okay before you go down. A lot of times there's waves coming and your mask is on and you're trying to get your regulator on. And, and I've learned just basically to, you know, put the regulator on, go into the water and get all situated and just calm. Because in early diving, I would get all kind of hyper and, you know, it creates all this anxiety. And it's that identification with the wave is so strong because what really helps me when I get into my funk or I feel pain coming like I had yesterday when my um, business partner's wife sent me a picture of my wife and my son I'd never seen before. And I just realized how beautiful she was because a lot of my memory of my wife was towards the end of her life when it was, you know, it was ugly. It was, it wasn't her and alcohol just robbed her of everything she had. And so there was just this skeleton and this figure there that I watched die. And that picture just hit me wow, I forgot how beautiful my wife was. And then there's obviously my son, who's probably eight or nine in the picture. And I could feel all these things coming, that wave of grief and sorrow and regret and guilt and shame and anger. And But what I did is I closed my eyes. First of all, I cried, didn't try to stop it. Just you know, just cried like a normal bodily function, you know, mm -hmm. you don't try to stop your breathing. Why would you try to stop your crying? Beautiful. So, yeah. So, so I didn't. And as I was doing that, I closed my eyes, breathe through my nose and I just reflected. It was a beautiful moment. And it, a year or two years ago, I don't do that. I just don't do that. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's a maturation of my conscious identity and my relationship with the universe and my connection with the universe. And it's so much deeper than just, I miss my son. It's just so much deeper than that. Of course I miss my son. You know, I miss my wife. I miss my mom. I miss my grandparents. I miss my dog, my cat. I mean, I could play that game infinitely. And and just creates so much sorrow in my life and pain. But there's something about not identifying, or I guess observing the thought, you know, it's like almost like one day I was telling my sons and trying to explain to them, you know, meditation, really how much it's helped me. And I said, imagine if you're 
Do you have a, a radio way, a radio in your house and you're tuning it and you hear your neighbors arguing, having a really big fight. And you know, these aren't, this isn't your fight. This is just your neighbors arguing, but you picked up on it like a signal. And you know, if you just turn the signal, it just goes away and you don't, you don't have to identify with that, that, you know, what you heard in a way, it's like a thought can be, you could almost look at your thoughts in that way is that they're coming from somewhere. Mm. You intercepted it. They're going to go away. They're going to die. But in the meantime, I don't have to hold on to them so deeply. Mm. And I think that has just liberated me from, you know, getting captured in, you know, in, in thought. And, um, I didn't know what you what you, what you think about that observation or that statement. And if, and if, meditation or something like that has ever helped you get through get through tough times you know absolutely absolutely it is uh it is this this intentional living that i practice nowadays and i say practice on purpose like because that. it is it is not a uh something that hey i live now intentionally without right. even thinking about it or now. even a practice it's, per se you have to you have to develop a habit Right. And you have to learn how to live intentionally. And I'm right. getting better and better in that. That means that I seek out opportunities or create opportunities where I can reflect or simply tune out. In your case, you call that meditation. Um, I call it the same. I've, uh, I do transcendental meditation. Mm. Or more often than not, I when I sit in the spa, the spa removes my phone, removes any kind of outside influences, mm -hmm. and somehow uh, the warmth and everything allows me to let many things drain away. And there's this mm. calmness coming over me. And this is my time. This is my time out. Now, it doesn't need to be a spa. I can achieve the same in on a micro level going to the toilet uh, at work. Right. And it right. is... It is just I'm creating that moment for myself, and I'm. Would you proud. say it's a gratitude? Would you say it's like a moment of gratitude? Yes, uh, more uh, gratitude plays a role in in a little bit different way. You know, sure. No, I go with that gratitude. Grat mm -hmm. I'm grateful for being able to control my emotions and to experience my emotions, but not putting a huge burden on them mm -hmm. so if i'm a bit angry then i accept okay i'm a bit angry and i i ask myself well why are you angry are you hungry angry lonely tired mm -hmm. oh yeah you're all of them well no surprise that you're a bit angry right. <laughs> congratulations right. or actually i have looked after myself i am not hungry i am hydrated i have sort of had a good good night's sleep and yes there's shit happening at work but it doesn't doesn't necessarily uh, explain my anger, then I just accept it as a bit of a wave that is floating over me that has no message. Most of the time, my emotions, I see them as messengers from mm -hmm. my body that something is not right, um, that I maybe have, again, burned a candle on both ends, etc. Um, but uh, there are, and I would say I'm 90% right there, 90% uh, of the times it is our messengers. And sometimes it's just funky, funky something happening. There's just some clouds coming together and you suddenly got thunder and lightning. That's mm -hmm. the same what happens in my brain. From now and then there comes some emotion that washes over me and you think, where are you coming from? 
Oh, interesting. Okay, I, I know you, but nah, not today. So give me five minutes and then that emotion is gone. I love it. I love that that freedom yeah, of, of not being a slave to my emotions anymore. That is a true freedom. And for that, I'm very grateful. But it took a lot of time to come to this point. Oh, I would yeah. say eight, eight years, eight years of of working with different people, working through different modalities, trying this, trying that, until you come up with a, a life, a, a series of habits that mm. allow you to be in that place. And not being sober complicates things immensely because... <laughs> When not being drinking, sober. That's what I mean. Not being sober. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. Gotcha. Yeah, when you're I drunk, you. when, when you're drunk, <laughs> it complicates right. your ability to stop your brain from your mind from oh, thinking. Shit, yeah. It, yeah. And so uh, I have now. Um, so today's the 16th. So about a week will be five years for me of wow. not drinking. And it's wow. funny. It's funny because I don't use the word sober for me um, because for me the word sober has an implication of a struggle. And, and I don't uh, struggle. I just don't drink. I've really been pragmatic about this journey of mine. I just choose not to drink. And if I did drink today, I wouldn't consider myself falling off the wagon. I would just say I chose to drink today. And I'm not that smart. And I've just found ways to kind of fool my brain into thinking that this isn't as hard as I want to make it. Um, uh, even though, even though, I'm not going to lie to you, I'd love to have a drink. I would. I'd love to have a glass of Cabernet on a nice cold night with my fire going and my dog on my lap and watching the net. I mean, I'd kill to have a drink, but I do. I just have a non-alcoholic Cabernet. Mm -hmm. So I do everything I did before, except what goes in my mouth, kind of looks the same, kind of smells the same, has a little bit of the same taste, but the only difference is I've removed the alcohol part, but it's I'm 99% doing everything else the same. And um, I know a lot of AA and places like that say, well, you know, it's a trigger. You don't want to drink non-alcoholic beer and so forth. But you know what? Whatever works for you is the right way. And as myself in recovery as you are, you find what works for you and that's what you do. And if something else works for somebody else, then you support them, you know. But, but I, mean, I think being recovery and being, being sober has really helped you uh, in regards to Hugely. your Usually, just your thinking each day, and your in your sleeping, and your diet, and all that stuff all comes into play, right? Hugely, hugely. Um, but I think the trauma doesn't go away, and the, right. the yeah. emotions yeah. the emotions don't go away. Actually, so just not the, drinking the trauma gets you really have to deal with it. Exactly. Right? I mean, it's almost the opposite effect. You would think you would think the drinking would be easier, but it it well being sober, you have to confront your demons. Oh yeah. oh yeah you know you have to because yeah. alcohol just masks those relationships with your demons and it lets you it lets you get you know you think you're you think you're dealing with them but you're not yeah to a certain degree you know alcohol plays a role it it is it allows you to numb the pain so therefore it, right now your body is 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 so in pain and you can actually take a drink and the pain goes away and there's right. this release of tension and it's beautiful but the problem is you're you're just removing yourself for a short period of time and then you wake up and you're a hangover you have hangover anxiety anxiety uh, yeah. the problem hasn't gone away the trauma is still the same and you're yeah. just worse off so I found that so hard, but 
remember there is the pain is there so you need to deal with that so therefore you need to help you need to get help to actually see what really has been happening and I, I say it so cautiously because it took me probably five years into my recovery, uh, into my, my living a new life, that I realized how strong my PTSD had really been. Because I had masked things. Uh, again, your, your body hates pain. Your mind hates pain. So it tries to wrap a different belief system around it. If it can't escape it, then we make something positive out of it. Right. That's at least what right. my brain did. Yeah. And so here I was, hypervigilant, constantly head on a swivel, and that made me a good doctor. It was really hard for me to be caught out by some diagnosis or some some emergency, and I became very, very good. I thrived on chaos because mm. I could deal with the chaos. Um, that gave me a purpose it gave me a, a focus it gave i became very good in those kind of things and taught other doctors how to deal with with such uh emergencies so i was in control when previously at the time of my trauma i was not in control right. so this was just something weird there and then only down the line five years into recovery did i suddenly when i saw someone else falling apart of ptsd and he told me oh no it's going to be fine I looked at him. Yeah, right. <laughs> In my mind, I was going through his diagnosis checklist of PTSD. And the moment I went through his diagnosis, I had like this parallel happening where I went through my own life. And as I went down in him, I saw that I scored basically a full house of PTSD symptoms. And I thought, mm. okay. And that was the first time that I clicked onto that. Then that started a new journey of discovery and of healing. But that, that was basically, it is, trauma comes in layers in your life. Your yeah. healing and your post-traumatic growth comes in layers as well. Mm -hmm. Because you're dealing with one piece of shit, something on your onion. The other right. thing, oh, that's not nice. Let's get that layer off. And then think, now I've got a nice onion. Look at that. And you turn right. it around and think, oh, shit, there's more. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's, that's exactly what happened to me in my life. So this is an ongoing journey. Because there are so many things that you don't even realize that have happened and have an impact on you. And it's something that you get to unpackage. Maybe like, like these Russian dolls where you take, yeah. Them, yeah. take them out or someone who is really, really good in wrapping presents and you've got this big present and you take it out and then there's a little present in there and then right. another little present in there. That's how my healing journey has been. And these are. Some of these packagings, they are really hard to get through. So sometimes oh, yeah. you need a bloody chainsaw to open the next, the next puzzle. Yeah. And that is, that is exactly my, my growth. It is, I'm getting better and better in some things. Others, they are still there. As a classic example, whilst I do no longer rely on alcohol whatsoever, and alcohol really doesn't play any, any part in my thinking, in my emotions, the sugar, has taken over that role. And when I say mm. sugar, it's not I even gotcha. sugar. Yeah. It's not even even sugar. I don't search out sugar fixes, but it's maybe volume of food that I'm eating. So yeah. there's certainly still an emotional overeating happening. Right. Um, that is now my challenge. 
And so often enough, the, the challenges change oh, because yeah. there's, there's yeah. clearly there's some trauma and there's some things there that I have not yet dealt with. They have not mm -hmm. become as clear to me yet. So this is an ongoing journey, which I embrace. Um, yeah. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And what one example, one good example here is I was... It's now just before Christmas when we are recording that. And 2022 has been a bitch. Oh, yeah. towards the end, every six hours, there's a new challenge. There's, there's nothing nice happening. Every six hours, everything changes. And literally. And I find that in the past, I would have been angry ass. And nowadays, I just say, yep, okay, bring it on. But yeah. I, I say bring it on without anger. I, right. I just say, I, I found myself yesterday standing at work, being trying to be angry and disappointed and actually couldn't be. Um, mm -hmm. I just said, yep, it is what it is. And by me adopting this attitude that sort of filtered over to, or, or spread out to the team I was working with. And by the end we were so, oh, kiss my ass. Yeah, that's fine. We are running late. So what? And yeah, others have fucked up. So what? And it was a nice feeling. So that is something that would have not happened two, three years ago. I would have yeah, been angry. I... I would have been fuming by the incompetence of others that then made me be late or made me, you know, whatever it is. So I have grown. And I think your viewers, your listeners have the same opportunity. You guys have got the, the choice, the privilege of choice. You can choose right now to do something to get you into the right direction into that growth, who you want to be. And maybe the very right. first thing you need to do is to ask yourself, who do you want to be when you grow up? And not what, but who? Who is this person that you really like to become? Many of us don't take the time to ask this question. And so maybe think about it, dream about it. What would be the ideal you that you want to be in a relationship, as right. a father, as a husband, as a wife, as all those kind of things. Try to get an idea. Try to get a dream. And then make that dream as crystal clear as you can imagine in every single aspect. Be as specific as you possibly can. And then this dream becomes a vision. And now, if you now start to take little measurable steps towards that vision that vision becomes a mission hmm. and before you blink you are like jeff who has gone out there and who is making this world a better place one interview at a time one book at a time one intervention at a time how bloody gorgeous is that that is yeah. where we have the power to make lives better by starting with ourselves and that is i think something that I have come to realize this is really, if we can just open the eyes and the minds of the people around us by living undeterred, undeterred yeah. <laughs> by, by going out there and, and being the best version of ourselves, including flaws, warts and all, honest, authentic, humble. Yeah. That is, that's beautiful. That's what, who I want to be. Well, that's beautiful the way you phrased that whole uh, comments, the, all your comments there. Um, I want to get to your Depression Lied to Me book in a second. <laughs> um, but I want to make a, a, an observation 
I get asked a lot, you know, if there's one thing you've learned from your mental health journey that you've been thrust into, which, you know, like I said, five, six years ago, I could care less about this mental health stuff. Um, and it probably came from the tour we did this summer, probably the, the one thing that stood out. You know, I took off in the RV on this mission to share my story, to, you know, talk to people about mental health and all the things that happen and try to cheer people up through storytelling. And I pulled in my driveway, you know, 95 days later, a changed man, just a completely different person. And I knew that going out, but I didn't know how. I knew I'd come back different. You can't go 95 days in an RV with your two sons and not be changed. Um, but what changed me was this, was every single place we went, every stop we made, some stranger would come up at a gas station or at a KOA or a park or, you know, an event. They say, they'd look at the RV and they'd say, what's living undeterred? What does that mean? So then that gave me permission to kind of tell me, tell them my story. Like I have this real short elevator pitch, you know, my son, my wife, my, you know, blah, 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 blah. That's why we do this. But what I found out though, was very quickly, once I cracked that door of vulnerability, it gave them permission that it's okay for them to tell a perfect stranger something intimate. Now I went to lunch today with someone I had never met before. Uh, actually I met him one time a week ago at a lunch, but we weren't sitting by each other. And he reached out on Facebook, said, Hey, let's go have lunch. So I met him at lunch and we sat down at the table and I'm, I'm not going to tell you the intimate details, but I'm not kidding you. Within five minutes, he goes, I don't know why I'm telling you this. I don't know who you, I don't know you at all. And he was telling me very intimate things about his marriage, about his relationship with alcohol, his family. And within five minutes, two grown men, both 56 years old and never met before are sharing contents of, of stories that, you know, best friends don't share after decades of being together. And so where I'm going with this whole thing is what I learned is I don't see people anymore. I see stories. I see every time I go in a restaurant, I see the alcoholic. I see the person that's going to go through a divorce. I see the person that's going to get the call in a week that's going to have stage four cancer. I see the person that's got to put their dog down tomorrow. I see the person that just buried their dad. I see the person that, you know, just learned how to fly a plane. I see the person who, you know, just started their, their new business. I see stories. That's what I see. I don't see color. I don't see sex. I don't see rich. I don't see poor. I see stories and that's probably what changed me on my whole journey around the United States is everywhere I went, there's just people like me on every street corner in every house and every workshop we did every nonprofit, mm -hmm. not better than me, not worse than me, not even equal to me, just people like me, just humans, you know, and that just changed me. It really made me a, a much more observant person. It made me much more grateful. Did I, did I have what I have, even though what I've been through and that there's so many people out there that have really had unfortunate things happen to them that really have done some amazing things, you know, and, and you included, and that's what's been fun about doing the podcast and stuff, you know, is meeting people that just have some amazing stories. Exactly. And we are, we too are privileged because we get to know, uh, such beautiful voices that we would have otherwise never come across. And it is that that keeps driving us 
because we see, wow, okay, there is hope out there. There is light in the darkness out there. Mm -hmm. And there was a time when we both didn't believe that to be true. Um, so therefore, this is so beautiful. That is that is the journey that I love and adore to see the light myself, appreciate it for what it is, not taking life for granted, but actually mm -hmm. to to seek the light and create the light for others. And by mm -hmm. doing so, that that gives me a sense of purpose. That gives me the right to be here, so to speak. This gives, gives me, the, that puts a smile on my face, literally. Right. That is the truest and honest smile I could possibly show you because it comes straight from that act of giving and that act of, of going out there and taking action. Mm -hmm. I'm no longer a victim. I am not just a survivor. I'm a thriver because of what Yeah, we don't want to survive, do we? We don't no. want to survive. You know, yeah. I had, okay, so... We're going to get to your book. I got, I got it pulled up here. I want to get to it. Um, I want to get to it here in about five minutes, but I had, I had the most amazing thing happen today. Um, it started off just as a basic conversation with somebody, but left me just the most validation that what I'm doing is helping people. And, you know, sometimes it's the littlest things that somebody says or does. It's not the award you get or the huge donation you get into your nonprofit that, that makes you feel validated. It's the little thing somebody says. So let me tell you this quick little story, then we'll get into your book. And my dog is barking, by the way. So if it's bothersome, I'll jump up and let him out. But um, he's an older black lab. And I always tell him I'm going into a podcast so you can't say anything, but then every once in a while he forgets. <laughs> um, so I... I was getting ready to go to lunch with this person today. I told you, and, and this lady who I always met her son overdosed on fentanyl and it's been less than a year. So she's new to this club and she's leaned on me a lot. Uh, I talked to her really early in the process. Um, talked to her for about an hour. Um, she thanked me immensely, gave me this you know great confidence that what I was saying was helping because I'm not a therapist, man. I've never taken a class in any of this crap. Um, I just say from the heart, I say what helps, what, what I've done that's helped me. And then hopefully people can extrapolate. And so we've talked a few times. I've never met her face to face. She really looks up to me because she knows I've lost my son and my wife and she's lost her son. And she actually lost her, her, her husband a long time ago through a heart attack, but that's been like 20 some years ago. But anyway, where I'm going with this is Christmas is really tough. Uh, the holidays are really hard. And she texted me, Hey, can I talk to you in 10 minutes? And I said, yeah. So I called her up and we talked. About half hour into our talk, um, and we're both helping each other. It isn't just me providing guidance. I mean, every time I talk to you, I talk to someone else, I get help as well. And she said something that I still just, it meant so much to me. And I'm going to say this. I don't mean to say this as a narcissist. I don't say this as being arrogant. I'm saying this to show you the power of being vulnerable and storytelling and the impact it can have on people. And, you know, she's only, like I said, six to eight months new to this, this club that, that, that we're part of. And, um, she said she was at a, an event and she had a, um, WWJD bracelet, you know, what would Jesus do? And, um, she was with a friend and her friend goes, um, are you a Jesus freak? You know, are you, are you a God freak? You know, and, uh, they're good friends. So you could get away asking that to a good friend really quickly. 
And she goes, no, no, no. That stands for what would Jeff do? I'm I'm dead serious. And she told me that she told me that. And I'm like, and I'm, I'm agnostic, you know, so I can't, I can't say, you know, I feel like I'm Jesus, you know, it's like, cause I, I, I'm agnostic, you know, I'm, I'm not a believer and uh, I'm not an atheist. I'm just agnostic and huge difference. And, um, and so, uh, so I asked her, I said, I said, I tell you out of all my years of doing advocacy, that's probably the most powerful thing somebody has said to me. No, that doesn't, that doesn't mean what would Jesus do? What would Jeff do? And she said, you know, Jeff, during my day, when I think about my son or something happens, I see a commercial or I go to see a Christmas tree at the mall or I see on Facebook somebody posting things. I always ask myself, what's Jeff doing right now? You know, well, what would Jeff do? You know, he's lost a son just like I, but he's lost his wife as well. And I thought to myself, okay, that's all I need. That's, that's like a shot in the arm, you know, of a drug, but a good drug. You know, just nobody's ever said anything that's meant that much to me. You know, and again, this is coming from somebody that's agnostic, so I can't take any religious feeling with that. But to have somebody now that that WWJ bracelet to them means, what would Jeff do? Man, I just can't stop. That just gave me more fuel, you know. And I told I told Chris, I go, Chris, you know what? There's people that you're new to this journey and you're telling your story. There's people that are going to think the same thing about you that you think about me. So keep doing what you're doing. You know, we, you, we have an impact on people, whether we know it or not. But mm. I know you get things said to you, too, that mm. just stop you in your tracks sometimes, you know. Mm. And that was it for me. That That's like, that's something I will always remember, you know. And that person probably had to think, who the hell is this Jeff guy? <laughs> uh, well, exactly. Exactly right. Does it, does it matter? Does it matter uh, if we are big influencers, small influencers? Right. Don't even know how to word, uh, write the word influencers. We still influence the people around us by right. who we are, how we respond to our environment, how we respond to the traumas. Mm -hmm. And therefore, that is so important. That is so important for parents um, because you guys are probably struggling with teenagers. You're struggling with your children. That's mm -hmm. what every parent does. Mm -hmm. Yet, we keep forgetting that by us living a life, an honest life and, and a life with integrity and authenticity, that is how we can have the best influence on our children. Mm -hmm. without being influencers well actually just being good human beings don't think that the world does not pick up on that oh they man and they're watching on... you oh you're, hell you're, yeah you know you actually it doesn't have to be children everybody's watching you you know i yeah. i watch you i watch your posts I, i've watched your podcasts um i've yet to read your book but i'm going to get the new book that you have my mm -hmm. steps to sobriety um uh, that's that's your is that was that your first book that was the first book in the kind of mental health realm. Okay. Um, previously, I've done some cookbooks and other things. And, uh, yeah, I see your co-authored books too on your site. Uh, exactly. But now the reality is that that My Steps to Sobriety, that was me coming out, I guess. Yeah. Uh, me coming out rather than just simply talking to people and now actually using the written word in order to tell my story. And since then, I, I wanted to create more impact and uh, specifically depression. Depression was right. is, is a nasty burden. I mean, one in three of us will have depression in our lifetime. 
And it is normal. 90% of the population will have at some stage in their life suicidal ideas that it is that they want to take their life. 90%. So that is actually normal. Yet we are not talking about it. We are not. Yeah, I wanted to pick your brain on this. I wanted to pick your brain on this because um, Depression Lied to Me is your book. And it looks like you co-authored it with a number. It's a, it's, it's a book. It's, um, it's not for women or is it by women? It's both. And I'm a girl okay. at heart. So <laughs> 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 this is, I was, where that all came about, the original idea okay. started. Two years ago, um, I wanted to write a boy girl, a, a boy book and a, and a girl book. And, sure. um, we started, we started with both. Um, I have to say that the girls were a bit more on board and were willing to partake whilst, uh, the boys, oh boy. Um, that is, we didn't get very far there. Um, the, the girl's book has come now to fruition and in it, in it, we have got 14, uh, women who tell their story of how depression lied to them. And they oh. come from all walks of life, uh, different colors of skin, different belief systems, uh, different countries. And it's beautiful to see the different stories, yet the commonalities in many of their stories. The amount of trauma that was there as an underlying driver for their depression. What, what was your main take? What's your main takeaways from the book? I mean, after you, after, a book is like like this is like a research project. You know, it's like yeah. a it's like a college project or something. You're doing a lot of research into it. A lot of books are written like memoirs type view. This is yeah. research based. Um, what was your takeaways? That depression is a bloody liar, uh, just as much as addiction is. It tells us lies. You are worthless. You are. Why are you even here? It's the thoughts, the negative, the negative uh, reverberations that are going on in our head. They are there and they are going on to a strong degree in so many people that often people who you wouldn't even believe it. They are on the outside. They are absolutely fine. I mean, how many comedians, unfortunately, oh, yeah. have taken their life? Okay, Yes, as yeah. a classic example. He's, he's so, probably the epitome of it because he was like, I wouldn't say the most optimistic, but he was so out, so extroverted. Absolutely. And he had to be so torn introverted wise. Exactly. And that is exactly the, the, what we so often see with depression. Um, and it's, it's, let's, let's pull the, the, the crap away from it. The masks, the, the veils, the, the whatever Hollywood kind of cliches on it. All that is bullshit. Depression is as normal as as you getting a cold. There's, it will happen to you in your lifetime. Um, so therefore, the moment we actually accept that and look out for it, then maybe this is a so much more liberating kind of uh, fact that we maybe seek help earlier, that we are not full of shame and guilt and, and all these negative secondary kind of belief systems that then come on top of, oh my God, I'm, I'm a bad mother because I feel down and out. Do you think one of the problems, let me ask you your thoughts on this, is that, and let me paint this little picture here and then just see where I'm going. So let's say you're in school, you're in high school and um, you know, you're, 
have issues like every other child in this school does. You look out the window, you think about girls, you think about boys, you think about whatever you're thinking about, just normal stuff. And at some point along this journey, somebody says, all right, uh, little Jeffy, um, you have depression. Okay, so now I've got this label imprinted in my mind. So I'm 15, someone says I have depression. The assumption is, is that somebody, if I have depression, then somebody doesn't. Because no one would say I have depression if everybody has depression. So the only, the only reason I'm being told I have depression is somebody doesn't. So if somebody doesn't, then that makes me abnormal. So the fact that you are labeled depression or depressive or manic de depress depressive or whatever term, attention deficit's another one I like to use. Yeah. The implication is that somebody doesn't have it. I think, I think it's a spectrum and that right. you have depression. I have depression. Every single person watching this podcast and every pe person that reads your book has depression. Some are zero. It never manifests. It never reveals itself. It never lies to the host. Others, it's a three or a four or five. They occasionally get mm. sad. They cry, you know, mm. and then others it's medicated. It's that mm. bad. Mm. Would you think that's a fair assessment after you did this book that you've come to the conclusion? And I think I know the answer that we all have it. It's just some have it more or have it revealed to them differently than others. Mm. Or do you think, do you Different. think people, there are people that just simply, don't have depression. Don't, don't, don't get, have depressive moments. There was, that's the difference. So there are, there are waves of emotions or waves of neurochemicals that where you're feeling down and out, you have just a cold is coming on. Plus you've worked far too hard. You mm -hmm. are, uh, you're dehydrated. Something sad is happening in your life. No surprise that reactively you are low in mood. Does that mean you have got a full-blown depressive episode as per text, psychiatric textbooks? No. So therefore, no. Will there be, um, is there a status where your body is in a, in a serenity, mm -hmm. where it really is good? Mm -hmm. uh, yes, that we all have that level. Now, we unfortunately with modern society, we want to be always in that saccharine, sweet Coca-Cola advertisement. I'm high. I'm feeling good. Right. And, and, and so if you accept that as the norm that you have to be, well, guess what? No, it's like rubber bands being attached to you. You want to be all the time. Yes, I'm up there. No, 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 no. You're burning out. So you can't do that. So there's a level of serenity where your body is happy where's good. It's not absolutely high. It's not low. Now, just as much as there are there are times when unfortunately things will be not right in mm -hmm. your life. That might be that as a woman, you have developed an iron deficiency anemia because mm -hmm. your periods were heavy or et cetera. And you're suddenly or menopause you're, too for women, well, right? Touche, touche. So yeah. there are certain biological things that right. contribute to you being really down and out. So right. you want to be down there. Now, again, this is not where, you, where your body is happy and where your mind is happy. There is like rubber bands that are, that are sort of wanting to pull you back up. 
but there are certain actions that we can take to keep us up there and keep us down there. And unfortunately, we, we are sort of dabbling. We are, we are not having the awareness of these emotions and those states. We are trying to be up there. And if we are not, then we see each other as, as failures. Mm-hmm. It's all that kind of rubbish. Um, so to, to come back to your, to your question, um, do we all have depression? I think we all have times when we are not at our best and when we are not even serene, but when we are actually low down and out. And that is often enough a message from the body to tell you, hey, man, enough is enough. You've just worked your guts out for for a whole year. You haven't taken a break whatsoever. And you're simply just curling up in bed in a fetal position. And you are listless. You're tired. You are you have no appetite. You have. So if you go through the list, then suddenly you, you tick many boxes of depression. Is and, there a generic definition for depression that you did? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Do you know it off the top of your head at all? Uh, no, no, not, not but, to but give you is, that. But there is, like, there is a non-subjective a, generic definition. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. The DSM-5, yeah. which is a, is a psychiatric textbook that gives you exact definitions. Uh, and you have to be um, of a low mood for a certain period of time. Plus, then you have to have a cluster of symptoms of which you have to have three or four of each uh, of, the, of the following list. And then if, if you fit into those criteria, then you have got depression. So it's likely now, that the term is just haphazardly applied to people that really don't have depression. Correct. But, correct. But they, oh, they, absolutely. Either, they either self-diagnose yep. and they, they've never been clinically diagnosed, but they just say, well, I'm sad. I must have depression. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But, not, but they don't yeah. have depression. Absolutely. And I think right. that's a really, really good point you're making there. It is, we are using words and descriptions yeah. of um in in ways that maybe they shouldn't be used and therefore i always say to to people who have who are struggling with their mood either because they're really high or they're really low more often low um that they should seek actually the help of their family physician that they seek the help Mm -hmm. of their 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 gp uh to actually see what is going on Uh, basically have a good overview of their current life and actually take some blood tests well, guess guess what? Your iron levels are low as hell. Well, bingo! You won't feel, you won't feel great. You will feel low, and and maybe some dark thoughts are coming over you. Let's mm. fix that for you. So sometimes, in in a few percentages of depression, of clinical depression, we can fix people like that. Bang! Um, by taking the underlying reason away. Let's say your thyroid is completely underfunctioning. Uh, that is a good reason to be low. Hormonal changes in the menopause. Uh, that is another example there. Well, for men, so, the, the, the t- testosterone levels go down. Um, unfortunately. Men, you know, exactly. And, and that exactly can right. cause certain things that can create or... Correct. So there's a whole range of things there that that we might wish to have a look at first before we go mm-hmm. anywhere further. Um, yeah. So the question is, do you have depression? Well, it doesn't really matter so much if you uh, if you if you somehow fit into a, a nice drawer, <laughs> into a tick box system. Mm-hmm. Um, you're feeling you're feeling not right. Well, let's get yourself checked out. And then from there, um, your GP or family physician can actually help you and can say, look, have a look here. There are these and these resources are out there. 
And yeah. it's just acknowledging that something, someone is not right is often so helpful. Um, it, it's not in your head. How often times when I say, look, this is not in your head, people say, oh, God, thank you so much. I yeah. thought it's, it's, I'm, I'm going crazy. You know, those kind of things, someone taking you serious and listening to you, yeah. that is often such a powerful thing. Well, and then every there's... Time we... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, every time we see an actor or a movie star or a politician comes out and says, yeah, I battled depression or I battled alcoholism. I think that just... The more we can see we're all in a big boat together, we're all paddling in the same direction. We're all fighting upstream against mm -hmm. the current of life, but we're not in a canoe. We're not by ourselves. And I think, I think the more that we see people that we look up to, that we want to emulate, that we subscribe to having it all figured out, you know, the successful people and we mm -hmm. say, and they come out and they say, I battle depression or I, or I see a therapist. I'm like, wow. You really? Well, so my thoughts must be okay. Because if you're having them and I look up to you, then my thoughts must be not abnormal. I mean, that's got to help people, right? Well, exactly. And suddenly someone believes you and that gives you, like you mentioned earlier, with you being open about your struggles, someone else gets the gets the permission to speak about their struggles, the permission right. to be like open about one. their darkness. And that yeah. is so beautiful. Yeah. So that is exactly my mission um, to open up about that um, and to make it easier for other people to just be themselves. And if that mm -hmm. being themselves at the moment uh, mean that they're not so great, well, okay, let's work with that. Well, listen, I knew this would be a fast hour. <laughs> Last time we went fast as well. Yeah. Uh, how do people get your book or books? So, um, what's the easiest way? Absolutely. Uh, guys, go to Amazon. Um, out there, you have got Depression Lied to Me. Uh, Depression uh, Lied to Me is this beautiful combination of uh, female voices and uh, female storytellers that tell their side of of well they tell their story but more importantly they tell you about the lies that the disease or the condition depression lie uh, actually told them and it is so refreshing because so many women recognize themselves in a number of these stories mm -hmm. so it's an amazing amazing uh book it was uh, very it was it was honoring me it was a very beautiful uh, endeavor that I uh, went on for two years to to bring these these stories together, and uh, hopefully we can just let people know out there um, about these stories, about the different ways that these women got better. There's some that uh, where holistic medicine played a, a big role, where mm -hmm. energy healing played a role, where medications played a role. Mm -hmm. um, it is, there's a whole range of things that can help someone who is in a deep, dark hole. And I think that is so important. So this is not just about different stories, but also about different transformations and healing processes. So and your therefore, website there's a, is mysteps2sobriety.com. 
Absolutely. And that's where you can find it all. Um, my All my books, my, my children's book about a little mindful mouse. I saw that. Uh, and, about, <laughs> <laughs> and about all kind of other projects that I'm involved in, because we can make this world a better place. I have a six-year-old One... granddaughter. And is that book, there you go. I mean, what, what book is that? What age bracket is that book geared towards? That's perfect for her. Uh, my uh, Esme the Mindful Mouse is a little mouse that lives in our redwood forest and it is having a beautiful time out there and it's very vivacious and is bouncing around and often enough it unfortunately does silly things because like all it, mice do right <laughs> oh and like all little children do right. and so often, That's right. often, her, often her friends are quite upset with her and she is wondering, oh, my God, am I am I a bad mouse? And uh, in reality, no, she's not a bad mouse. She has done something silly, something bad. But the difference between being bad and having done a bad thing is a really big difference. So her friends love her to bits and show her at the end of the book that they love her. Hmm. It's just from now and then when she gets too vivacious and does silly things to, to that annoy her friends, that this is not a bad thing. So the mindfulness. I can buy this on Amazon right now. You can you can buy that through my website. Um, it oh. is we have printed that here in New Zealand. Um, so if you go through the website there, if you oh, were to go nice. to, uh, so click onto that book, onto the picture of Esme, there you get it straight away, and you're on my website, and we can sort it out for you. I will. I'm going to get the book and I'm going to read it to my granddaughter and uh, post. I'll make a post for you and help support yeah, you. Yeah, so Jeff. Whatever You're I can wonderful. do to help you, my friend. Absolutely. Uh, it's an well, Stefan, it's been, it's been an honor and a pleasure, and I hope you and your families have an awesome holiday. And uh, and uh, next time I have you on the show, you'll be the all-time record holder. You'll be three times on the show. Right now, it's just two. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm off to pick up my granddaughter, have her for absolutely. the weekend. So um, I love you like a brother, man. Keep doing what you're doing. And the same to you. Live undeterred. And we take it from there. Bye.